Well, his name was Thomas Anderson. You might know him as Neo. He was your just everyday average computer programmer. And all of a sudden, in a moment, he was whisked away and taken to an unfamiliar, new, undisclosed place where he began to learn about some other things. He began to learn about some unique powers. He began to find out that there was actually an attack on people uh, by machines. And shortly in that time, he met a man named Morpheus. And some of you are starting to track with me because you are a fan of Keanu Reeves and The Matrix. But as the story continues on, Morpheus begins to have a dialogue with Neo, and he begins to tell him, Neo, you are the one that I have been waiting for. You are the one that we've been waiting for to show up and be the, 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 the ambassador that would bring victory and uh, freedom from what's going on in all of this chaos in this world. You're the one that's going to be able to fight back against this. He says, this is your purpose, Neo. But understand, there is one who wants to wreck any plans that you might have for helping us or any plans that you might have in fulfilling the purpose in pushing back against this power. He says, his name is Mr. Smith, and he's going to try to destroy you and destroy anything that you want to go after. Basically, is explaining to Neo this idea that if you'll believe in this and you'll come back to this, then you will have an opportunity to participate in something extraordinary, something life-changing, not just for you, Neo, but for all people. Neo has a choice to make. He has an opportunity. And so what Morpheus does in that moment is he says, there's, there's two pills. He said, in this hand, I have the, the blue pill. And he said, you can take this pill and you can go back and forget any of this has happened. You'll have no recollection of this conversation. Anything that you remember will not be seen as anything true. And you can go back living the life that you've always lived, the ordinary, average, everyday computer programmer. Or you can take the red pill. And he said, as you take the red pill, then you will be given a power that is beyond your wildest imagination. Take the blue pill and go back home. Take the red pill and let's see where this thing goes. And Neo takes the red pill and then they made a second one and then they made a third one. And it's a fascinating story, but isn't it interesting that we're drawn to those kinds of stories? Stories about average everyday people stepping into something extraordinary. Maybe people that we would even define as heroes in our world real life people sometimes, but it's almost like we're drawn to this for a reason. You know, I wonder if there's something in us that's wired specifically for something extraordinary, something that's significant, something that's risky, something that would make a difference or make an impact. I think that's what we see in this story if you've watched The Matrix. And listen, I'm not making any sort of political connection here. I know there's a handful of you who are like, red pill, blue pill, West, what are you trying to say? Listen, I'm not. And if you don't know anything about that, congratulations, you are winning, okay? So just, I'm, I'm just, I'm, that's not why I say that. What I'm wanting us to consider today is that what would it look like for us to step into a similar invitation, an invitation of, Blue pill versus red pill. Blue pill 
being the opportunity to, to leave our time together today, to leave this space together today, and to go back home and to continue to live the ordinary, average, everyday life of, as a man or a woman, uh, making ends meet, paying bills, raising families, uh, you know, socializing with people throughout the week, or taking the red pill, stepping into something extraordinary and just see where it goes. You know, as we land the plane of this four-week Hope and Freedom series, we've been talking about some really specific things that we believe here at Community Faith that are, that are what we pray for every single person that comes to COF. And over the last four weeks, we've talked about what it looks like to know Jesus and what it looks like to grow together in community, in relationships with other people who love you and also love God. And then last week, you heard about living a life well-lived, leveraging everything that we have for the purposes God has called us to. Today, I want us to think about this extraordinary life, this opportunity to invite other people to come and see this God that we serve, this one that loves us. And with that in mind, this is what I want us to kind of think about. This is what I want us to wrap our minds around is this idea of being everyday people, but living with extraordinary purpose. What would it look like for us to, to live that kind of life? Because I think when you put all those things together, having a relationship, personal relationship with Jesus, knowing the real Jesus and growing with other people and living a life that's leveraged for God's purposes in our lives, we begin to go on this extraordinary adventure, but we begin to experience the best version of ourselves. And every single one of us desires that. We desire a life of significance, of meaning, of importance. And to help us understand this today and see this, I want us to look at a story in the book of Acts. Acts is the book in the Bible where you begin to read about the explosion of the church. If you go back to week one of this series, if you didn't, we weren't here that week or you haven't gone back and, and listened, we started in a passage where Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, who do people say that I am? And then he makes it personal. He says, who do you say that I am? And the answer, Peter specifically answers, he says, you are the Christ, the son of God. He's saying, you are the one that has arrived to bring hope and freedom to the world. And then he says, Jesus specifically says back to him, he says, upon this rock, the rock being that confession, that moment where Peter declares who Jesus is personally, he says, on that confession, I will build my church. And then these group of everyday average men continue to follow Jesus around. He begins to show them what this life is going to look like. And then we get to the book of Acts. And incredible things are happening in the book of Acts. And we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 26. And I'll give you some background to this in just a second. But let's read this first verse. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 says, But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get ready and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got ready and he went. Now, I didn't give you a whole lot of context for what's going on, but here's what's going on. I, I mentioned what Jesus said to his disciples, and then he continued to, they continued to follow him around, and then Jesus goes to the cross, he goes into the grave, he walks out of that grave on the third day, and then he spends a little bit of time with his closest followers, the disciples and some others, and there's this group of about 120 people, and he begins to tell them, this is what you are called to do. He begins to empower them and equip them and show them this is the mission that you've been called to. And so all through the book of Acts, you see the church exploding, thousands and thousands of people trusting Jesus as their own personal Lord, Savior, the ultimate authority in their life. And the church is blowing up in Jerusalem and then in Samaria. Earlier in this chapter, Philip, you read about Philip being in Samaria because Christians are being persecuted. 
followers of Jesus are being killed for their faith. We read about the stoning of Stephen in chapter 7 of Acts. And we pick up in chapter 8, and Jesus' followers are scattering. And they're not scattering so that they can lay low. They're not scattering so that um, they can be quiet or silenced with the message that they have of hope and freedom. They're they are being scattered, but as they're scattered, they're actually continuing to share. It's almost like the persecution is advancing the proclamation of Jesus, of this hope and freedom found in Jesus. And then we pick up here. In the middle of really a revival of the church, I mean, the, the church is coming alive in Samaria, a group of people that the Jewish people didn't associate with, yet Philip, who was a Jew, goes to Samaria, an ordinary average man. We actually know that he was the leader of the bread distribution for the early church. So that was his role. He goes to Samaria. Great things are happening. All of a sudden, this random moment, says the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, and he says, get ready. It's time to go. You're going to go to this place. And he calls him out. Now notice, how many, how many of you, just by raising your hand, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands a couple times today, but how many of you would say, I am a type A person? You're, you need details, you need times, places in order to make decisions. Okay, all right, good. Before you do something, you want to know all the facts. Uh, I, I appreciate facts and details, but not as much as my wife does. My wife, uh, one of the things that I can do if I really want to make her mad is when we're talking about something coming up, I can just tell her something like this, hey, hey, listen, Brandy, don't, don't worry about it, I'll figure it out. That never goes well. Just the other day I said that. And she goes, you know how much I hate to hear that because she needs details. Because details and times and all the information gives her a better sense, a better confidence of what to expect when she gets there or when we leave or whatever. And so there's something valuable in that. Notice in this passage, there's not any details except for where to go. It just says go. And what does it say Philip did? It says that he went to this small place called Gaza, 165 miles away from where he was in Samaria. This little, small, isolated, deserted place. I mean, it would be like traveling across the state, uh, maybe driving to Waco. And I don't know if you've driven uh, up Highway 6 to Waco. There's that little town called Riesel. And if you're caught going too fast, you get a ticket. You know, it's, you're, you're driving and you're just cruising along at 75 because you follow the speed limit, unlike everybody else in the world, and you get into town and you forget that little bitty sign kind of off to the distance that says 25 miles an hour, and so you just roll in, all of a sudden you see 25 police cars in this little bitty town, you're like, where in the world did they come from? They pull you over and you're like, I don't, I don't understand, I don't know why, what, what is going on? Like, who even lives here? Is this town big enough for anybody to live here? And then you ask them, you're like, um, why, why do you want me to slow down to look at this town? Like, I just need to go. I mean, this is the kind of place that Philip is being called to. But it says that he goes without knowing all the details, without knowing all of the information he goes. And I think it shows us the first thing that I, as we consider being everyday people, everyday men and women that could potentially step into an extraordinary purpose. I think we see this first thing is simply to, skip that verse, to embrace the mission with courage. To embrace the mission with courage. Now specifically, what mission are we talking about? If you go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that I just showed you, it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest parts of the earth. This is one of the last things Jesus said to his followers, 120 people in the very beginning of the book of Acts, before he ascends into heaven. Notice he says, you're going to have power. You're going to have authority. He's going to provide that through his spirit. And he says, you're going to be my witnesses. 
you're going to take this message of hope, this message of freedom for all people. And it says you're going to do that in Jerusalem and in Judea. Well, the first seven chapters of Acts, you read about that. You read about the church exploding in Jerusalem and Judea. And then in chapter 8, Philip goes to Samaria, and you see the church begin to explode in Samaria. And as far as the remotest part of the earth, you know what's interesting is Gaza is actually referred to by a group of people we're about to talk about in just a moment as the ends of the earth, the remotest end of the earth. So you see this fulfillment of what Jesus said, and his disciples are being obedient. These people are being obedient. And what's interesting is actually not the disciples that are going. It was just the average, ordinary lay people of the church going and taking this message. You see, I think that as we begin to connect with Jesus, we begin to know Jesus, and we become concerned about those who are disconnected from Jesus. As we begin to know Jesus, we become compelled to make him known in the world around us. You see this all through the book of Acts. There's no gap between understanding God's call for you to to respond, to trust him, the call to follow him. There's no gap between that and the call to live the mission that he's called you to live. Just share that message. There's no gap there. Those things exist together. You see that for Philip. I mean, he just goes. He he embraces the mission with courage. He is all in. And so you see that. He's he's embracing this mission with courage. I was thinking about this this week and going back to consider the life of Jesus. And as he was spending time with his disciples, you know, it's, you don't read a lot of information in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about Jesus and his disciples spending a lot of time in Bible studies and a lot of time in prayer gatherings and singing songs about God. You don't, you don't read a lot about that. And that's not to say that those things are not important. They obviously are. Or we wouldn't do that every single week in this place. But you read a lot more about Jesus and his disciples going out and spending time with people that were not like them. Taking this message, Jesus sharing with people about this love from his heavenly father. This is what you see them doing. And it's the same mission that God is calling us to. I have a close friend who was recently diagnosed with cancer. And I was thinking about that. That's kind of been on my mind a lot the last several days. And as I've been preparing for this message, the two things kind of blended together. And I know that everybody in the room probably has been impacted by cancer in some way or another. Either you've uh, fought that fight personally on your, uh, for, for yourself, or you've been close to somebody that's fought that fight. It's a brutal disease. It's incredibly difficult to walk through that. And I've walked through some of that personally with my wife, and you've heard stories. You've heard Mark and Laura share their story as Laura walked through her cancer journey. And as I was thinking about this this week, I, the, the thought came to my mind. What if, just, just imagine with me, hypothetically, just imagine, what if there was a group of people that you heard about? So let's say 150, 200 people that you heard about who at one time all had cancer, but had all been cured from the cancer. They had been given the cure for cancer and actually were able to keep the cure for cancer. And they would gather together every single week and they would talk about this cure. They would celebrate this cure. They would celebrate the fact that they had been healed from this awful disease. They would sing about it. They would speak about it. 
And if they were really devoted, they would spend even more time outside of that weekly gathering having really deep conversations about the science behind the cure and how, the, how they got to a cure and just these, these incredibly deep conversations. Meanwhile, while that's happening, just imagine there being hundreds of thousands of other people existing outside of their gathering who are suffering the difficulties of cancer. As you think about that, how would you describe that group of people? I don't think we would describe them as loving, or compassionate, or caring. I think instead, my mind goes to a place of being lazy, wicked, selfish, just not concerned about anybody but themselves. And I share that today because we have something in Jesus that's even greater than a cure for cancer. We have a hope and a freedom that exists and is only found in Jesus. And my fear is that in the American church, we have become maybe too comfortable in just simply gathering together. And there's so much value in gathering together and caring for each other, each other when we're in a space like this together. But I think we can fall into this trap of dressing ourselves up and making our lives look nice and tidy and saying the right things, but becoming completely unconcerned about the things that Jesus is concerned about, specifically those that are far from him that are disconnected from him. And I think that when we find ourselves in that place, then church becomes really uneventful, lame, boring. And I don't think that's the church that Jesus gave his life for. So there's nothing to celebrate in that. There's nothing to be excited about in that. And so it eventually begins to just kind of go away and become something that really makes no difference in the world around it. But we found something different. And so many of you have a story of what Jesus has done in your life as you begin to step into that relationship with him and trusting him and crossing that line of faith. So what would it look like for us to embrace this mission with courage when it's uncomfortable, when it's inconvenient, when it's not the easiest thing to do? What would it look like? Because here's, here's, my, here's my dream, and this is what I, I want to be a part of. There's a lot of people right now in this day and age who are looking at the future of our country or the future of our world and are incredibly discouraged. Maybe having the thoughts of like, how in the world are we going to raise kids in this generation to, to, to be, you know, decent people? And there's just a lot of discouragement and a lot of, you know, darkness that we begin to think about. It starts to kind of creep into our minds. And as I was thinking about this, like, no, 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 no. Like, why are we thinking that way? Because in Christ, I don't have to think that way because I have something better. I have an, a relationship with the one who calls himself the light of the world that wants to push back the darkness. And so when I think about that, I think about some of the things going on in our world that community faith participates in, in pushing back the darkness. I dream of a world that is void of human trafficking and the church stepping in and continuing to push that back and extinguishing, exterminating any sort of hint of human trafficking in our world. I believe God has called his church to step into that. I dream of a world where racism is extinct. I dream of a world where the racists actually become radically inclusive because of the relationship they've discovered with a man named Jesus. I dream of a world where abuse is gone, where there's no single parents because they decided they just didn't want to be together anymore because there's, there's, there's wounds and there's hurt that's been there. And, and I don't say that with judgment. I just say like there's a brokenness in our world, but Jesus wants to heal that brokenness, whether it's relationally, individually in ourselves, physically. 
Those are the things I dream of, and I believe that this happens when the church embraces the mission that God has charged it with, with courage, stepping into it, even though it's difficult, even though it's uncomfortable. The story continues on, and we see that Philip says, so he got ready, and he went. So he goes to this place 165 miles away. I get grumpy about having to drive 10 miles in Houston traffic sometimes. This dude walked 165 miles in the desert. And notice when he gets there, it says, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, Ethiopia is in Africa. Eunuch, if you don't know what that is, um, I'm just going to say, I think Mark may be teaching on that coming up soon. So he'll have a great message where he can explain more about that. Actually, Mark, in the last sermon, I said that, and then I realized you weren't in the room because I told people just to email Mark if you have questions about being a eunuch. Um, he was doing something over in another room with the, another group of people, and I started thinking about that. He's going to get emails, people asking about a eunuch. He's not going to know any reason why that happened. So I'm glad you're here to hear this in this, in this service. But there's this Ethiopian eunuch. But here's what's interesting about this specific individual. It says he's a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all of her treasure. So this is a man that's connected to the royal family in Ethiopia. This is like the CFO of Africa. And what's important to know is that Ethiopia now is kind of a tiny country, but back in this day, in the ancient days, it was not a tiny country. It was basically everything in Africa south of the Nile River. And so this is a prominent man. This is someone who has some status, who has accomplished some things in his life. And he shows up in Jerusalem specifically because he wants to find out more about this God of the Jews. It says that he had come to Jerusalem to worship. If you go back and read in the New Old Testament, there's a couple of places where you can see there were encounters with the ancient Jews, with the ancient Ethiopians. So there might have been some sort of awareness that this Ethiopian had about the God that the Jews worshiped. So much so that he found himself in a place in life where he said, I need to go find out more about this and worship this God in Jerusalem. There were a lot of things they worshiped in this Ethiopian culture, but it's almost like he came to a place where he realized and recognized this is all good and great, but where does this all come from? And I wonder if that's what led him to make this 1,200 mile trip, not in like a chariot pulled behind a donkey. And this is a guy that's got royal status. So he was probably carried around in some sort of chariot by servants who were walking across the desert. Most likely there was a caravan of people that were also with him. And it says that he goes to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot. So he goes to Jerusalem, but then he's on his way back to Ethiopia, and he was reading Isaiah the prophet. That's interesting. He went to learn about the God of the Jews. Now he's on his way back to his homeland, and he's actually reading from the Old Testament, specifically the book of Isaiah. That's important. I'll show you why in just a second. It says, then the Spirit said to Philip, again, Philip is hearing from the Lord. God is speaking and directing his life. And he says, notice he gives him some more specific details here. Go up and join this chariot. Now, this is, this is somebody he doesn't know. This is somebody that's um, not even from the same people group that Philip is. And yet God says, hey, I need you to go up to this guy. You should go have a conversation, engage with this guy. And says, Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? He sees this man. He's led by the Spirit because he's listening for the Spirit. And it leads him to do something somewhat uncomfortable, somewhat bizarre, maybe even inconvenient. I don't know what Philip was doing in this moment, but he was in the place God wanted him to be so that he could maybe do exactly what God wanted him to do in this moment. I think it's the second thing that we can learn today. In order to live an extraordinary purpose in our life, we embrace the mission with courage, but we also get to engage in genuine conversation.
What would it look like to engage in genuine conversation in the lives of those that we get to spend time with, that we hang around with, that we go to the, the office with, that we spend time with at home? Notice how Philip did it. He did it by simply asking a question. He didn't make any statements. He didn't make any accusations. There was no rebuke. There was no judgment. There was no condensation, condem, condemnation, condensation. We're in the desert. Just trying to make sense of something that I didn't mean to say. Instead, he started with a conversation. He just began to ask questions. He met the Ethiopian in a place that was relevant. He wanted to know about him. He began to have this dialogue with the Ethiopian. I think there's something to be learned here for us as a church. As we embrace this mission, then we begin to step into places and spaces where we begin to have conversation with people, not focused on ourselves, but focused on the people that we're talking to. And the easiest way and the best way, most effective way to do that is just simply start asking questions, start asking questions about um, who they are and where, where their life has taken them and some of the things that are important to them. Begin to understand more about who they are and why they do what they do. And that happens through questions. I'll just be honest, sometimes I get stuck in conversations where I begin to talk all about myself or I'll ask somebody a question about themselves and then I'll respond with something about myself because I want them to know more about me. And it's, it's, I, don't, I don't know why I'm wired that way. I don't know, it drives me crazy. I'm a little bit embarrassed by that sometimes, but that's not what Philip does. He begins to have this conversation with this man. He was right where God wanted him to be. Maybe it's a question that we pose to ourselves is what if where you are or what's going on in your life isn't even about you? What if it's about the people that exist where you are or the people that you've come in contact with because of what's going on in your life? What if that's the reason? What if God is up to something? What if God is working in the hearts and minds of people who are disconnected from him? And you don't see that, you don't know what's happening, but now he has put you in a place where as he's been working in their hearts to begin to open their minds and their, their, their eyes to see more who he is, he has put you in that place to have a conversation with them to help confirm for them who he is and who he wants to be for them. And sometimes we ask the questions, why in the world am I stuck in this family? <laughs> and then they ask the same things about you. Or why in the world, I can't stand my job. I can't stand the people I work with. I don't know why I'm stuck in this place. Maybe you're there because God has placed you there. Because he's doing a work that you can't see yet, but he wants to use you to do something extraordinary in the life of someone else. Coworkers in your family. And the other parents that are on the sports team with your children. With the neighbor that's down the street. And maybe, just maybe, in some of those conversations, he's going to start to use you to begin to draw people to himself so that they can have a relationship with him, so they can know him. And just maybe, I wonder, some of these empty chairs that are here this morning, I wonder if there's a chair maybe up there that in a few months somebody's going to sit in because of a conversation one of you have with this man, potentially, who has been running from his family and running from God for several years and his parents and those that used to be close to him have been praying for him. Maybe the church he grew up in has been praying for him and he's just continued to run, but he's beginning to come back to this place and God's beginning to open his eyes again to who he is and he's put you in this place to have a conversation with him to show him more clearly who he is to you. And in that, he's gonna draw that person to this place and he's gonna begin to hear the hope and the freedom that's found in Jesus and God wants to use you to do that. I wonder if someone like that maybe sit up in that empty seat that's up there at the top of the, the room today, but in a few months may be filled 
Or maybe it's a man that's going to be sitting over here in an empty chair who has walked through a difficult divorce with his wife, and his wife has found Jesus, and she's trying to walk with Jesus, and she's trying to lead the kids to Jesus, and she's begun to pray for her ex-husband, not just for maybe a restoration in the marriage, but she's just been praying that he would begin to know more of who God is so that he can be the father that her kids need him to be in their life, and he's not going to use her to have those conversations, but he's going to use you in an interaction that you're going to have in the office one day, completely unaware of what's going on in his life and what God is beginning to to bring up and to stir up. I had a conversation with a man here just a few months ago, and that was, this, that was his story. His ex-wife had invited him to community of faith because of the value that she had found here, but she wanted him to experience that as well. We'll never know what's really going on beneath the surface in the lives of those around us, but we are called to engage in those conversations as we see Philip do. You know, that's been happening maybe for some of you here today. Maybe you're in a place where God's been shaking some things up, trying to show you some things about himself, and there's some questions you have about life, about God, about his love for you, maybe about purpose in life, and there's just these things, and so maybe you're here and you're, you're looking for answers, and there's maybe somebody in your life that's kind of helped steer some of those conversations and lead you to a place of, of, of finding some answers to those questions. Maybe they've even brought you here to this place, and you're here this morning, and you're, you're continuing to press in, and I want to encourage you, keep pressing in. You know, there's people here like that at Community of Faith every single weekend. I talk to him all the time. I know Mark talks to him all the time. Laura talks to him all the time. There's, there's people here. Some of you have conversations with people that are kind of in that place trying to figure it all out, looking for the right answers. I don't know in my lifetime if there's ever been a time where people have been looking for more answers than they're looking right now. I say that because we have an opportunity in the, the immediate future this week to begin to invite people to this place because next week we're going to talk about the life of Jesus and the celebration that we have in his, not just his death, but in his resurrection. And in that, God wants to open the eyes of so many people who don't know him yet, but he wants to use you to draw people here. Let me ask you to raise your hand if this is true for you. How many of you here today are here at Community of Faith because somebody invited you to Community of Faith at some time in the past? Just raise your hand. A lot of hands up. It's amazing what an invitation, a simple invitation might do in the life of someone else. I love that. And I say that because I want to encourage you to be intentional with the invitations this week. Genuine conversations. Listen, I'm not saying you roll into work tomorrow and you're like, hey man, listen, you're going to hell and you need to come to Easter services with me at Community of Faith next weekend. Like that's not going to work. I told you before about a friend of mine in high school that we got back from a church camp and he was like on fire for Jesus, like literally. And he walked up to one of my buddies and he put a cigarette lighter up behind his ear and he said, and it burned him and he got mad and he even singed a little bit of his hair and he turned around and was like, what in the world are you doing? He goes, you think that's hot? You should think about how hot hell's gonna be. Let me tell you about Jesus. Like that doesn't work. Like I can appreciate the courage and the boldness, but the... Yeah, the, the, the process there is a little bit flawed. But instead, what would it look like? Just a simple conversation, beginning with some questions. Hey, what, what are you guys doing this weekend for Easter? Oh, so you're, you're going to be around? Well, man, I would love for you to join me at Community Faith. I'm going to go to one of the Easter services. And listen, I'll even go to the service that maybe fits your schedule better. So is there a service that maybe you'd want to come with me to? Like, it's a simple conversation, but you'll never know 
the end result until you step into that place of obedience to extend the invitation. You've been given something powerful. I think we've been called to embrace it and to engage in these conversations. Look how the story continues on. We'll wrap this up in Acts 8, verse 32. It says, now the passage of Scripture which he was reading, the Ethiopian is reading this passage of Scripture, and it says this. It's, it's quoting from the Old Testament. It said, he was led like a sheep to slaughter, and a lamb, like a lamb that is silent before its shear, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his, his justice was taken away. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. This is coming from Isaiah chapter 53. We saw that the Ethiopian was reading specifically from Isaiah. So Philip jumps up in the chariot with him. They start to have this dialogue, this conversation. He's like, what are you reading? He's like, man, I'm reading Isaiah, specifically Isaiah chapter 53. And then look what happens. The eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? You see, Philip showed a genuine interest in this Ethiopian who had traveled across the desert to learn about this God that he had heard about. And he's on his way back home. He begins to have this conversation with a man who's actually interested in the conversation he's having, and they begin to talk about some deep spiritual things. You know, if you, the longer you spend time getting to know people, the more you'll begin to understand some of their deepest needs, oftentimes needs that you and I can't meet that are needs that Jesus can begin to meet and step into when they step into that relationship. But he begins to ask this question, who is this? Who is this man that's being talked about? And Philip gives him an answer. It says, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. I wanna pause and just take a timeout commercial break right here. This is a shameless plug for prayer this week. So I'm gonna ask you this week, every single day between now and Easter that you set a reminder on your phone for 8.35. You can do a.m. or p.m. or you can be like, you know, next level, better than all the rest of us and do both. But I'm specifically asking that you would pray that there would be a response to Jesus being explained and preached next weekend at Easter for those that are disconnected from him. That we would beg God this week to do what only he can do to open up the eyes of those who don't know him yet. And maybe some of, the, some of those people are here today and you're, you're beginning to see a little bit more clearly even today as, as you're listening, as you're experiencing all of this. But my thought this morning as I was thinking about this is like, okay, at 8.35 every day, God is gonna say, what in the world is up with these people at Community of Faith? They will not stop. They are, they are so excited. They are so anxious. They are so eager. They are so burdened for the people that are gonna be at their Easter services this weekend. Would you do that? Would you step into that? Would you participate in that? And I would even tell you to take it a step further on Wednesday night. We meet together every Wednesday at seven o'clock in the multi-purpose room. And I want to invite you, this maybe of all the weeks of the year, this might be the most important week for us to pray that God would do what only he can do in the time that we're going to spend together next weekend. So I want to invite you to be here, to jump in and to pray. All right, commercial break over, moving on. Philip has this conversation that leads us to the last thing, simply this. He explains who Jesus is with confidence. He explains who Jesus is with confidence. Notice where he starts. He starts in scripture. And he also starts where the Ethiopian is in scripture. He specifically, he, he goes from there, he begins to explain who Jesus is. And he begins to give him the answer to the question that the Ethiopian is asking. And it's a life-changing question. And as he shares this answer, he begins to probably explain to this Ethiopian everything that Jesus is. How this passage was written 800 years before Jesus even showed up on the earth. 
And Jesus showed up on the earth and he fulfilled the prophecy in Isaiah 53 completely, accurately. And he showed up on the scene and he took on his shame, his guilt, my shame, my guilt, your shame, your guilt. And he took it upon himself and it took him to the cross and it put him in the grave. But he walked out of that grave. And that's what we're gonna celebrate next weekend. That's why we celebrate Easter. It's what we celebrate all the time. But the reality of that for us, when we place our faith in him, when we trust him, is that we get to be called sons and daughters of the King, of King Jesus. And when that happens, it's not just this thing of like, okay, that's cool. It shapes who we are. It changes our identity. All the things that that begin to, to make us insecure, we begin to find security because we're looking to the right person for that security for that hope, for that freedom, as we begin to step into this relationship with Jesus. What Philip does is an example of, who, of, of what we're called to do as the church, as Jesus' followers. Notice the Ethiopian's response. He tells them who Jesus is. And then in verse 36, it says, as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the, the eunuch said, look, water. I mean, he's amped. And you're like, man, he's just thirsty. He's in the desert. No, 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 no. He's not just thirsty. It says, what prevents me from being baptized? He's asking another question. It's, it's, it's like Philip began to explain all the things about Jesus. And the Ethiopian's like, man, I, I want that. It continues on in verse 38. It says, and he ordered that the chariot stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And this is, this is a fascinating story. And I've never studied this passage of scripture like I have over the last couple of weeks. There's something incredible happening in this moment because this Ethiopian, this Ethiopian eunuch specifically, has traveled to learn about this God of the Jews. But on the temple that the Jews worshiped in, which is why he went to Jerusalem, there's a sign that existed at the front entrance that said, no lame, no blind, and no eunuchs may enter in. So can you imagine Like, I don't know where this guy was in his life. I don't know if he was in a place where maybe he had worked all of his effort and he'd finally come to a place where he realized that all of his effort and all of his time and all of his energy had landed in a place that he really wasn't fulfilled anyways. I mean, he had accomplished, he was the CFO for the queen, but there was still something void in his life and he's looking for that and he's thinking he's gonna find it and then he sees the sign and he recognizes and realizes that I'm not allowed, I'm not included, I'm disqualified from the presence of God, from the power of God. I'm disqualified from being able to have a relationship with God. So he turns around. He begins to go back home. But there's still something pulling at him. He starts to read Isaiah 53. And then God, not by accident, puts Philip in his path. And he tells him, hey, what you're reading is about this man named Jesus. And what Jesus did is he accomplished something so that you're not disqualified anymore. And here's what's so incredibly cool about this. He's reading Isaiah chapter 53. And just a few chapters later in Isaiah chapter 56, look what it says. Nor let the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. In other words, I am cut out. I am am disconnected. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who hold firmly to my covenant, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and the name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be eliminated. And then this Ethiopian recognizes that Jesus accomplished what what is being talked about in this passage. He's saying, hey, Jesus did 
what was necessary so that you didn't have to be disqualified anymore, so that it could be made right, this relationship between you and this God that you so desperately want to have a relationship with. He's saying that he gives you a new identity. He gives you a name, and it's not just any name. It's a name that's gonna last for all of eternity, and you're welcome in the house. I know that sign said you couldn't go in, but you're welcome in anytime because of the work of Jesus. And what is his response? Water, there's water. And listen, if that's what Jesus did for me, I want a relationship with him, and I wanna trust him, and I wanna cross this line of faith, and immediately there's action attached to what he believes. That's what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. It's not enough just to say something that we believe. There's action required. You see this Ethiopian step in to this, and he makes this decision. He recognizes that Jesus did what only Jesus could do in his place. You know what? I know that there may be some here today, and that's, that's where you are. Like, that's the decision that God is calling you and pulling you to make, even today. Maybe you've been around for a few weeks. Maybe you decided to trust Jesus uh, maybe a couple of months ago, and you've been learning more and just, just taking it all in, and you're excited about your faith, but you've not taken that step of baptism. The reason I bring that up is because next weekend is my favorite weekend to celebrate baptisms, and we're going to baptize in each of our Easter services. And maybe right now God is calling you to take that step to declare Jesus as the ultimate in your life and to say to Jesus, Jesus, I wanna follow you and do whatever you say, wherever you tell me to go. If, that, if that's you today, I, I, first of all, I want to say it's the biggest decision that you could potentially make. But we don't want you to take that and make that decision on your own because we grow together. We're, we're able to experience more of who God wants us to do as we walk this faith journey together. If that's you, and you're like, man, I'm ready to step into this relationship with Jesus, or or maybe you've begun to kind of understand this relationship, you're ready to take that step of baptism, I want to encourage you to to text the word follow to 97000. It's very simple, and you just fill out a quick little uh, form with your name and contact info, and let us know, hey, I want to get baptized next weekend. And our team will contact you this week. If that's you today, there's nothing else you need to hear me say. Like right now in this moment, you can text and say, this is what I need to do. This is what God is calling me to do. I recognize what he did for me. I'm ready to trust him. I'm ready to follow him. One last thing I'll say about this story is what happens afterwards. I was reading this last week. And the ancient historian Eusebius wrote that after this conversion story, with this Ethiopian eunuch and the people that were with him carrying his chariot, he went back to Ethiopia and they started a church. And the church began to grow and more and more people began to experience and understand Jesus and what he had done for them and the love of their heavenly father because of the sacrifice Jesus made. People began to understand that. And I began to kind of consider that and and think about it. What's really awesome to think about is before there was ever a Western, white, European church, there was an exploding church in the continent of Africa because the gospel hadn't made it to Europe yet. And there's been times where I've heard people say, you know, Christianity is just a a Western religion. No, it's not true. It actually didn't even start there. How did that happen? There was an ordinary, everyday man named Phil. And he said, I'm going to embrace this mission with courage, even though it's uncomfortable and scary. I'm going to engage in genuine conversation because I deeply care for the people that are far from God. 
and he consistently explained who Jesus is. Would you be willing to take on that role? I think it might be the most extraordinary thing that you could ever be a part of. I would even say this and just land with this. The best version of you is found in the purpose God created for you. That's what we're talking about today. That's what God's inviting us into. I read a couple weeks ago that the average, in the average weekend, one out of six people take something that they heard from a church service and put application to it. One out of six. As I was thinking about that and today and all that's happening today, you're going to receive a t-shirt when you leave here today. Everyone's getting a free t-shirt. But I want it to be more than a t-shirt. I want it to be a reminder. Because I, I don't want us to just be one of those statistics, one out of six. But it's a reminder to step into this all in with everything you are to trust Jesus, to know Jesus, but also to make him known, to invite others to come and see who he is because of what you've experienced in him. And so as you wear that shirt, as you take that shirt home, let's continue to move. Let's continue to go. Let's continue to be sent because that's what he's called us to. So we're going to continue to move, and there's no slowing down. The church isn't dying Across the world, the church is blowing up. And I don't believe that God wants to do anything different in this area through this group of people known as community of faith. Now is our time. Now is the time. Let's step into this today. We close your eyes for just a moment. I just want to ask you a simple question. And I want you to close your eyes because I want you to just be able to focus for just 30 seconds. Think about this question. Who do you know in your life that is disconnected from God? Is there anyone in your life you would say they, they're disconnected from God? Right now in this moment, I know that there's probably some names and some faces that are coming into your mind. I believe that's the Holy Spirit. That's God himself putting those faces, those names into your mind because he is calling you to draw them to himself. And so I want us to pray for that. I want us to pray that we would have the courage, the genuine interest to have the Jesus conversations this week with those that are on our minds even right now in this moment, and that we'll experience something miraculous because of the way that we engage in the mission this week. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the opportunity to gather in a place like this every single week. And right now, I just pray that you would give us an overwhelming sense of who you are, that your spirit would continue to shape in us and shake in us all that you want to do. And that we wouldn't just maintain, that we wouldn't just go through the motions, that we wouldn't leave this place and forget what we've experienced in this place, but that we would actually go and we would take what's happened here and it wouldn't just stay here, it would go with us. It would make a difference. God, I pray specifically for those that are maybe on our minds right now, those that are coming into focus. Would you give us the courage to have the conversations, even if it's just a simple invitation to Easter at Community of Faith, would you give us the courage to have those conversations? Give us the opportunities. Would our paths intersect with those that you want us to intersect with so that we can be a part of the work that you want to do in each one of their lives? We thank you in advance for the work that you're going to do next week. 
We thank you for those that are going to step into this relationship with you. We thank you, thank you for those that are going to celebrate baptism next week. God, would you make next weekend a weekend at Community of Faith that we never forget? Not because of the music, not because of uh, all the crazy cool things we get to do, but because of the work that you do next weekend. We trust you for that. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.